Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast interview. This is Roy. Hope your New Year's is off to a killer start. Uh, Ian Anderson is back with a brand new Jethro Tull album, the band's first under that name in 18 years, called The Zealot Gene. Comes out January 28th. So I had a chance to speak with Ian about the album and a bunch of other stuff going on. So please check it out. Hey, hi, uh, Ian. Pleasure to meet you, first of all. Congrats on the on the new album, by the way. I've had a chance to check out The Zealot Gene, uh, which comes out on January 28th. Uh, incredible new Jethro Tull album. Uh, good to have the band back and yourself with some new music. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you've done a bunch of interviews already, as you mentioned. Uh, the uh, This album, being a band album, if you've called it, is what uh, what prompted you to, to call it a Jethro Tull record after, after so many years. Well, I, I should have, going back to 2014, there was an album uh, called Homo Eraticus, which I, on reflection, should have released that as a Jethro Tull album because the guys in the band have been playing with me for many years as members of Jethro Tull, but they'd not actually been on a Jethro Tull record in the sense of it being just released as Jethro Tull. So I decided I should put that right with the next one. And um, and uh, so in 2017, I started to write a Jethro Tull album uh, with a certain theme and framework to it. And um, I, um, I, I, I was probably evasive. People said to me at that point, oh, we hear you're working on a new project is it going to be a, a solo album or a Jethro Tull album I was probably evasive saying well I haven't really decided that yet we'll see how it goes but yeah, I really had I, I was pretty sure it was going to be a Jethro Tull record once I got to the stage of making demos for the band um, and, and I was second guessing as a record producer how they would handle that information um, right. but you know that you know I suggest by March of uh, certainly end of February, beginning of March of 2017, I, I was pretty sure this really is going to be a Jethro Tull record. And we recorded seven tracks in five days, four of which I finished in you know, various points along the, the way that year. But then the, the other five songs that, that I'd written, I was um, kept putting off trying to book studios and time simply because we were on the road so much. And rather like a lot of this year, you know, there are such short spaces of time between arriving back from one tour and going away on the next, because I tend to do lots of short tours rather than a few long tours, which I really can't abide. So there aren't very many unbroken periods of time um, to, uh, you know, to, 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 to spend maybe 10 days rehearsing and, and recording and, and have to do that maybe three times to finish the album. So it um, it, it just got... It got prolonged and then the, the pandemic was on us. So it turned out that um, in waiting for the opportunity to get back together, it was um, going to just delay things so much more. I decided at the beginning of last year, I'm just going to have to get on and finish this by myself. So I recorded <laughs> the last five songs, um, uh, you know, in an, an acoustic context at home. And and uh, on each of the, those five songs, one or two of the guys, they they sent me their contributions as audio files that I could slip into the final mix. Would it be and, a track, uh, a track like uh, Sad City Sisters that that might, yeah, might yeah, have been exactly, one that was yeah. later on? Yep, that was one of the later. If you hear me playing the acoustic guitar, it's one of those last five. Oh, interesting. That, that I didn't know, actually. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, the response so far to the singles, I think, has been pretty outstanding, um, which I hope you've been able to see. Uh, 
But do you ever, after all this time making records, feel nervous when you get closer to a to a street date, or is there any anticipation for that that day to finally come? Well, I, I was very nervous back in 1971 on the last day of recording or mixing the the Aqualung album. I remember having a discussion with the keyboard player John Evans, and you know we were both. I suppose feeling the same way, really uncertain about what it was we'd ended up with, and would this be good enough? Would it would it uh, would it be the beginning of a slippery slide to oblivion, or would it, you know, push us a a, a rung higher up on the ladder of uh, fame and fortune? And and really, really, we were not sure. And and Aqualung didn't get off to a roaring start. It, it was okay, you know some you know, mildly positive reviews. But over a period of time, it really caught on and it became a, an enormous success over a period of, a, I suppose, a couple of years that had penetrated most most um, countries of the Western world. And we were, um, we were suddenly an internationally pretty well-known band. Uh, so, yes, I was pretty nervous, is probably the correct word back then. But since then, I've been less concerned because I know... The end of the day, it's you know you're going to get it wrong from time to time, and people aren't going to like what you're doing, and that's that's just to be expected. And so, you know, you hope that most of the time, at least some people will be fairly pleased with what you've done, but you can't have too high an expectation that you're going to nail it um, in the minds of other people. So all you can ever really do is try and do it to the best of your ability and try to to do it in a fashion where you feel you, you know, you've actually done your best and you, you, you like the end product. Yeah. But um, you know, months uh, after finishing it, it just becomes another of those series of songs like all the rest. And so your attachment is, is um, more avuncular. Um, it's, it doesn't perhaps have the same um, nervous energy uh, that you have at the moment when you, wrap up the final mix and you think wow that's it that's it you know that's as good as it's going to be and you know after a few months it just is sitting there and you're on to the next thing which is, is indeed what I am right at the moment so I'm uh, my my creative energies are focused elsewhere right now yeah what's what's the point in uh in either the writing recording mixing along those that that uh, trajectory of before you get to the finished product where you're you hear something in a song, and and there's a light bulb moment where you say, "Aha! That that's that's the sound. That's Jethro Tull, or or that's what I was going for." Is there is there a moment where you where you know it's going to work more than others? Is it during a certain part of the process? Yes, but it comes during band rehearsals. That that's what that's the whole point of that bit. You know, I make some demos, send them to the guys. They've got all the lyrics, they've got the chords, they've got the general shape of it, and some, you know, some uh, audio reference that they can work to to come up with some initial ideas. Then we get together and rehearse, and it's in that period of time where you're rehearsing a song um, that you begin to really get the feel of of how it's going to be, and. Um, as a record producer, I've got to have that feeling. I've got to know that it's going to fit into a certain um, recording methodology and that I'm kind of hearing the song, you know, as a final mix um, in my head and trying to make, you know, the little adjustments to arrangements so that when we press the red button to start recording, you know, we, we, we know what we're doing. And it's just a question of doing three or four takes and, 
and then um, moving on to the next one. So we we did um, we had five days of rehearsal, and I think we recorded um, seven songs the following week in four days. So you know the, the pr procedure was quite quick. Yeah, I don't you know I'd, I'd much rather work quickly in whatever I do, and um, it's just that the the time lag was due to a mixture of being on tour, other commitments, laziness, and then a pandemic that lasted, well, from still, still essentially going. from January of 2020 to the present day. Yeah. Uh, I want to dive in uh, a little bit more on the album itself, uh, The Zillotine Again, which comes out uh, real soon as we're recording this January 28th. Uh, the title track and the, the title of the album, The Zealot Gene. Talk about what that means and uh, and why you named the album that also. Well, it, it, um, it was the summing up, I suppose, of, uh, of um, the idea of expressing strong opinions and having strong emotions. And the album began with my decision that I would write a series of songs, each one about a different strong human emotion. So I made a list of strong human emotions, words like anger, greed, jealousy, retribution, and some nice stuff like love, compassion, companionship, loyalty. And, um, and I wrote my list of maybe 15 words and I, I looked at them and thought, Hey, they, they look like, you know, those are the words I remember reading in the Bible and on a, on a flight of fancy, a whimsical moment, decided I would do a big internet search of the examples of those words in biblical text, just as a point of reference and comparison, and copied and pasted some, you know, some uh, verses from the Bible as a just a little kind of, you know, as a reference point. And the songs I was always intending would be songs about the present day, but in the process of writing them, a couple of them, you know, are more set in a, a biblical and historical um period in terms of referencing certain words and and uh, biblical tales and events as as we are asked to believe them and um and the, and then some of the songs you probably wouldn't get the feeling that you were that you were reading anything that had any relationship with any biblical text but that that's you know that that's that's what i'm trying to do really is to is to use metaphor and analogy and simile the tools of the writer's trade in a way that gives me a, a little more satisfaction as a, a writer rather than just everything being kind of one-dimensional and just you know it, right. it only being applicable in one very specific way and um you know i wouldn't want to do an album and it just looked like i was um you know, copying and pasting either visual images or text from the Washington Post or CNN. I, I, I like it to have a, other dimensions. I want to make references to other other historical times, other other um, events and periods. And so, you know, I think as a songwriter, I'm I'm always wanting to see things in, in you know, a multi-dimensional way rather than just. Uh, focusing on one very specific thing, which is why, you know, I don't do heart on sleeve, how I'm feeling kind of albums or right. songs. I'm, I'm not that kind of a writer, not very interested in telling people how I feel. I'm more interested in uh, describing things. And, you know, the, 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 um, the arch villain of that kind of philosophy was Frank Zappa. You know, he spent a lifetime just um, mercilessly lampooning and, uh, and creating sometimes quite hurtful images of other people but he never told us anything about him. 
He never finds Frank Zappa talking about how he feels. He never reveals anything about his own emotions or heartfelt views. He, he's always writing about other stuff and doing it in sometimes a cynical and cruel and comedic way. Right. Um, I, I'm not quite on that level, but I, I do... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm a big Frank Zappa fan, so I mean that's why I make that comparison. But no, I, I still tend not to um, not to naturally gravitate to songs about me and my feelings. Uh, but that, on the other hand, is 95% of what everybody writes pop and rock songs about. It's all about me, 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 me. You know, taken to ex extreme by early Alanis Morissette, who was <laughs> the the, uh, the the mistress of heart on sleeve material. And um, it, well, for writers like her, it's uh, it's that catharsisism, right? To to yeah. get that off your chest, right? That's what some of those artists do. Indeed, and and I think that's that's that that is generally the case with most of what people write about. It's it's a celebration of of you expressing your emotions, and and that's fine. But I'm I'm just I'm just an objective guy. I, I'm yeah. an observer and I just choose music and words as a means of conveying what I observe. I, I set out to be a painter or a photographer. And so those were my initial um, aspirational plans for my future, but I ended up, music is so much more immediate and, and that's why like so many of my peers in the sixties, we all went to we all went to you know British art schools, uh, and we emerged as musicians, not as painters or or draftsmen. We 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 came out fully formed as as active musicians because it was that so seductive that you could have an idea and it could be bang, it's there and it's real, and you replicate it on a regular basis, performing it live and. A painting, on the other hand, takes usually quite a long time to do. And when you've done it, it sits there and that's it. It can't be um, uh, readily changed. And um, and you don't get a chance to recreate it. Uh, I mean, you could argue someone like Cezanne, his many paintings of Mont Saint-Victoire, you know, look not dissimilar. <laughs> but on the other hand, they're all individual paintings, same subject, but seen from a different angle in a different light. And maybe to a degree in songwriting terms, we, we might do the same thing. We might revisit the same topic, but look at it from a different angle and in a different light. And so, you know, music is much, much easier to do that, I think, than if you're in the world of visual imagery. The album cover itself also is pretty striking. Obviously, with you on the cover, but the the dark and light of it, and the wording behind you, and the way that picture is taken, was that your idea? And and what does that convey for you that that image? Well, yeah, yeah, I kind of had the idea of um, what the the album cover would look like. Um, probably at the time that I was leaning to having the Zealot Gene song as a title track, and immediately threw up the idea, obviously through the lyrics of black and white, you know, in the sense of polarized views about things and, you know, and uh, social media and so on and so forth. So I, I, I you know, I had it in mind that, that it would be a, a stark vi visual image, you know, with black and white and the background would be reversed the opposite way to punch it out a bit more. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, oh, it's sort of yin, yin and yang thing, isn't it? And I said, well, I suppose in a way, yes, it's a similar kind of idea of, um, you know, 
black and white imagery and the starkness of it. But, you know, again, as a photographer, you see, I'm, I'm very fond of black and white photography. And, um, and so when I, when I took those photographs uh, and, and actually in the, in the album artwork, most of the, uh, I think I'm right. Yeah, most of the, of the photographs are also monochrome. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't mind a bit of colour as long as it's grey. <laughs> it doesn't have to be black and white. Shades of grey, you know, are infinitely enjoyable too, as I again say in that in that song. But you know, I'm I'm a man who occupies middle ground in terms of my views, and I'm prone to change my views um, depending on uh, what I learn that causes me to modify those views. So. I've been accused of sitting on the fence and I say, yep, that's about right. I'm a professional fence sitter. That's where I sit. And, and, and I sit on the fence with a view to both sides of that fence. And if I, if I decide at some point that I want to jump off the fence to one side or the other, it is with due consideration and the knowledge that the fence is still there. If I want to run back and get on top of it again, then, um, <laughs> you know, the, there is safety in sitting on the fence. So I'm, you know, I, I am a moderate. I just want to ask you about uh, uh, some other stuff that you had uh, out, coming out, uh, your lyrics book, Silent Singing, um, which has, um, you know, 50 years worth of lyrics and, and so on. Uh, what was revisiting that like and, and uh, you know, putting that whole thing together? Well, it meant listening to everything I'd ever recorded, including a lot of material that had actually not been released, although there were recorded versions in the pipeline to be released as demos or as part of compilations of box sets. But I, I started that long process of transcription on and off, you know, sort of an afternoon or a morning at a time over a long period of time, started off in 2016 and, and listening to some 300 more, uh, 300 plus songs that um, I didn't just listen to them once, I'd listen to them probably four or five, six times in the process of transcribing and then checking my, my transcripts and then checking the, um, the, uh, the PDFs that came back for approval because sometimes right. there were little gremlins and te technical hitches got in the way. Um, so I had to listen to that music a lot of times and it was, you know, I tried not to be looking at it with too much nostalgia or an emotional standpoint. I was trying to concentrate on making sure I was accurately reflecting the words that I sang on the day that they were recorded, which are not always uh, the words that appear on liner notes on record sleeves or whatever, or certainly don't tally with what's on the internet if you look up, you know, any of those sites that purport to tell you what the lyrics to songs are. So um, I just wanted to get it get it right. and. Um, it was interesting. I, I was nervous about doing because I thought I would find some of the stuff really not worthy of putting into print. And I would be hugely humiliated and embarrassed at the <laughs> idea people might read it. But it turned out not to be really too bad at all, because I suppose when I did look at some of the material that I thought was really, you know, really wouldn't stand scrutiny as um, written on a page, it wasn't so awful. Um, and hearing it in the context of listening to the music again and um, and reading it from the page whilst listening to the music, it, it's, it's, you know, it wasn't so bad. It seemed to fit. And luckily it was a relatively small number of songs 
as a percentage of the whole. But, you know, it was a little nerve wracking to go back there and then a bit of a relief to find out that it, you know, mostly wasn't so bad. Yeah. Uh, you have also been putting out a number of reissues. Uh, we had the 40th anniversary of Aqualong and, and other albums. Um, the next one, I guess fans are looking forward to is Broadsword and the Beast. Is there anything you can tease on that? Yeah, well, it's it's, it's the biggest and most uh, um, detailed box set compilation remix ever because it, it contains a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it has been released on Best Of, or but there, there are also a group of songs and demos that have never been released before. So there's uh, definitely a lot of new things there for people that, you know, the, the, the nerd fans will find stuff to keep them busy for ages. But it, it, because it's such a huge volume of work, you know, lots and lots of songs, plus live performances, live concerts, um, Stephen Wilson, who did the remixes, you know, had the the biggest job I think ever that he undertook in terms of the enormity of the the um, the, the 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 running, you know, total running hours of music. It was huge, and and again in the all the work that went into re researching the, the the content for the booklets and getting contributions from other people of that time who were creatively involved in either live tours or making the records. It was all you know, a, a big labor of love. And it was um, um, pretty much wrapped up before Christmas. I think there may be a few final details in terms of artwork just to join together. Um, but um, it's scheduled for release, I believe in July of this year. Is that fun for you to go back and, and put those box sets together and pull out live recordings and revisit things? And do you well, like uh, doing it, that? It, it, yeah, it's fun in as much as I'm not the principal person involved. It's mainly a guy <laughs> called Ch Tim Chaxfield at Warner Music, and he was, uh, for a long time before that, he was at EMI doing the same sort of job, working catalogue. The difference is catalogue now is a vital and important recognised part of any record company's assets, whereas 20 years ago they didn't really bother with catalogue. It just, it was there, it just kind of drib, you know, dribs and drabs of sales, it just kind of... You know, they didn't put any effort into it, but then with the advent of of, of uh, digital music, downloading, streaming, etc., the, the the margins really were so slashed um, that yeah. um, not only physical sales became much more important again as a small but vital part of the mix, but also reworking catalogue. And all of that's great for the fans because they have access now to so much material. You know, the original mixes, the remixes, the 5.1 surround, even mono mixes in some cases, you know, whatever was applicable to the era. And I think the, um, you know, the, the, the benefit really is to music fans who now have so much access to so much material and, um, and in different formats as well, if their preferences for streaming it as low, you know, highly compressed MP3 files or whether it's, um, you know, listening to a, 24-bit WAV file master and all its glory. It's um, you know, it's giving people choice, and I think that's a good thing. Are you already writing uh, for the next record? Yep, I, I told everybody, you know, during last year that I would uh, be starting a new project on the at 9 a.m. on the 1st of January in 2022, and uh, I was, you know, I said that quite often to a lot of people because I wanted to be forced to. <laughs> To uh, to do what I said I was going to do because I, you know, I did the same thing in 2014 with Homo Eraticus. I did the same thing and with uh, Figures of Brick Two in 2012, January the first, 9 a.m. Good target, New Year, 9 a.m. Bright and right. cheerful. And, and have we with... stuck? To, have we stuck to that? 
so I, 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 I managed to um, almost stick to it. Unfortunately, it was 9.30 when I actually went in <laughs> with my flute to start work. But I, you know, I, I kind of got there. But, but, you know, I'm now two weeks uh, into, actually almost three weeks into that process. And, and so, um, you know, I have the first draft of all the lyrics. I have the general musical themes and melodies, um, you know, the, 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 the key elements and the overall structure of the album is, uh, you know, absolutely nice. rock solid. But, but, but the next, next thing really is going to refine all of that and deal with more musical detail and possibly edit a few elements of lyrics and then make some demos for the band at the end of February. And then on and off during the year, we will um, try to get together to rehearse and record. Uh, last, last question for you, though, uh, is uh, touring expected to happen uh, soon? Are you guys going to be get, able to get back on the road with everything going on? Yep, tour, touring started again for us at the end of August when we were able, during a, a bit of a lull in the, the late summer, to be able to go and do a couple of shows in Germany, a couple of shows in Switzerland, one in Denmark, then a, a UK tour, and then Hungary and the Czech Republic. So we did about 20 shows. Um, the last one actually was just me at the um, uh, just before Christmas at the, the Vatican Christmas concert um, in Rome, a big annual event, big TV thing. And um, and this year we were, you know, scheduled to do a lot of rescheduled shows that have been kicked into this year. And uh, we should have been in Finland two weeks ago, but that got uh, pushed again because of uh, local government regulations in terms of uh, restrictions on public gatherings. Same thing in Sweden, which we should have been at um i should have been there going to sweden this coming saturday and i'm not right. that's been pushed into may uh but february in um yesterday i booked all the flights for the band and crew and so we're scheduled to do an italian tour in february followed by some dates in portugal and then spain and switzerland and uh, and then would you believe ukraine um in april but given the current state of play uh, mr putin may decide that um, he doesn't want us in his new country <laughs> although he's supposed to have us in his old country because um we're in you know st petersburg moscow and uh, um and uh novgorod in uh, september so um yeah amongst everything else you know there's a whole bunch of dates most of them have been rescheduled twice already yeah so well i hope we're, we're uh, on our, we're on our third and in some cases there will be the fourth reschedulings of shows people yeah. bought their tickets back in 2019 right we've not I know. showed, we've not showed up for work yet so it's, it's crazy kind of embarrassing. I, listen ian it's a, a real honor to speak to you uh and finally get a chance to have you on here and talk i tell you when i first heard uh even the the single the shoshana sleeping that that riff our immediately got stuck in my head and it sounded like it could have been aqualung you know it, it's yeah. something that sticks with you so congrats on that well it's it unfortunately got stuck in my head because when you <laughs> particularly when you're mixing tracks you you know you 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 find you go, you go to bed at night and and you wake up in the middle of the night and this damn thing is going through your head and it happens with other people's music too. It I happens you know, to me play all on the somebody time. else's record and, and I'm listening to their music and playing along with it. You know, many, many listens and, and, and it just gets sometimes stuck in your head and it's just so hard to get rid of it again. It's, uh, it's really yeah. annoying. But, um, you know, once it's, once it's done and dusted, as it was for me back in June of last year when I handed over the masters 
then um, I can push it aside a bit more. And um, now the 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 the, the, um, the little um, um, uh, sort of moments of annoyance from repetitive lines coming in my head are lines from the music that I'm working on at the moment. So it, I have no one to share it with yet. Um, that comes in a, in a few weeks' time. Right. Well, again, uh, the new album, the new Jethro Tull album, The Zella Gene, comes out January 28th. There's a bunch of singles out right now. The latest single, the title track, uh, a really cool uh, animated video is out now you can check out. Uh, sir, congratulations on the release and uh, good luck with it. And hopefully uh, we'll get to see you on the road. Yep. I'm hoping to be in the USA in 2023 for a two or three tours as soon as my agent is um, um, able to devote the time to it because he, like me, is busy with rescheduling all the existing shows. Um, yeah. So um, hopefully he'll get around to to um, coming up with some tangible availabilities. But uh, there have been no chance this year. Absolutely not. Everything is chock-a-block full yeah. already. You know. So anyway, there we go. Nice to talk to you. And, Thank uh, you. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you get to see folks in America sometime in the not-too-distant future. And in the meantime... Um, Good luck, be safe, and remember that Omicron may have some nasty cousins that we've not met yet. So <laughs> don't, throw away, don't throw away your FFP2 mask, otherwise known <laughs> as an N95, where you come from. That's right. All right. close Good to night, hand. Sir. Okay, take care. Nice talk to, to you talk later. To you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Ian for the interview. Don't forget the new album from Jethro Tull, The Zella Gene, comes out on January 28th, available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and everywhere else. Uh, for upcoming news and interviews, please check thepodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Download the podcast on all our podcast networks. And for special episodes, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks. Bye. Beware, beware the